Well, hi there, Jubilee. Welcome again. If you're a visitor joining us today on Zoom or Facebook or YouTube, it's great to have you too. We are continuing in our sermon series, Joy News, Life on the Frontline. One thing this lockdown year has brought to our attention is that the church, you and me, is not primarily a gathering in a building once a week, but rather a sent out, scattered people with purpose and mission every day. Ephesians 2.10, the voice version says, For we are the product of his hand, heaven's poetry etched on lives created in the anointed Jesus to accomplish the good works of God arranged long ago. God has a plan, Jubilee, and you are a crucial part of it. And so this week I'm unpacking an area that I've never preached on before. And as far as I can remember, hasn't been preached at Jubilee. And that's interesting in itself as it's an area that affects all of us and is rapidly changing. It's a front line, if you like, where everyone can make a difference. It's a front line. Sadly, the church, including me, especially me, has not made a priority, even though I believe it's important to the generations ahead and important to God. And that's the whole area of what I'm going to call caring for creation, the ecological, environmental issues in front of us every day. What do I mean? Well, due to the pressures of overconsumption, population growth and technology, our world, God's created world, is being degraded and destroyed, sometimes permanently. And what caring for creation is concerned with is the practice of protecting and stewarding God's natural environment as individuals, as organisations, including the church and as governments. Whether it's massive pollution, ozone depletion, carbon emissions, climate change, the destruction of habitats, the extinction of species, deforestation or soil erosion, God is bringing our sinfulness in this area to our attention. Yes, sinfulness. Professor Lynn White wrote a really important paper in 1967, which has had influenced the minds of many activists over the years, even now. The article in Science magazine entitled The Historic Roots of Our Ecological Crisis argued that the church on the basis of the Genesis 1 mandate of dominion over the natural world, has provided the rationale for a whole-scale exploitation of nature through the Industrial Revolution and beyond. He states that Christianity has bred the attitude that we are superior to nature, contemptuous of it, disregarding, scornful of it, and willing to use it for our slightest whim. I believe this is a season where we need to put that right. All of our little makes a lot. And Christians have risen to their front lines on this and have become key initiators of positive environmental change. Simon Possenby, pastor of of theology at St Adgate's Church, Oxford, he wrote this. Some traditions within the church have suggested that if it's all going to be destroyed and a new one created in its place, then we need not bother with what we have here and now. But the mandate given to Adam contained within the very first command God uttered to us was that we husband and steward the creation. I do not believe this mandate has been revoked. 
Oxford graduate S. L. Pym, who recently won the International Cosmos Prize for his work on food cycles, when asked what motivated him to have such compassionate concern for the planet, said, Oh, yes, I'm a believing Christian. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. Or maybe Sister Miriam Therese McGillis, a Roman Catholic nun who has pioneered, pioneered the 226-acre Genesis farm where she and her team trains impoverished youth from urban areas in organic culture, or horticulture, earth literacy, seed preservation. This green nun started the Food Shed Alliance to promote sustainable farming. And so what I want to put to you this morning is that there are unsurpassable, no better intellectual and spiritual and moral resources for passion, for care, for creation and the environment than you can find in Christianity. Really, that may come as a surprise to some of you. So with the help of the Tear Fund, the Christian Aid, Phil Moore, John Stott, Andrew Wilson, Justin Wel Welby, Tim Keller, I want to highlight four theological reasons why we should take this seriously and make changes in our day-to-day -day front lines. Putting this together has been a real time of worship for me and I hope for you too. So firstly, creation is good. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God saw that the light was good and called the light day. He made the land and gathered water called seas and God saw that it was good. Let the land produce vegetation, plants bearing seed, trees bearing fruit and God saw that it was good. God made two great lights, the sun and the moon. He also made the stars and God saw that it was, you guessed it, good. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, birds to fly. And God saw that it was good. Let the land produce living creatures, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. You get the point, don't you? That God is getting across to us, don't God is enjoying his creation. He knows it is good, very good. He's not discovering it's good. He's, in, he's enjoying it because it reflects his goodness. Psalm 19 reads, The heavens are telling the glory of God. They are a marvellous display of his craftsmanship. Day and night they keep telling about God. Without a sound or a word, silent in the skies, their message reaches out to all the world. The sun lives in the heavens where God placed it and moves out across the skies as radiant as a bridegroom going to his wedding. Elsewhere we see the sun, the stars, the mountains, the hills are praising God. That's not just nice poetry. No way, just like the art of an artist reflects something of the inner being of that artist. The trees and stars and moon and sun praise God by being by just what they are. Professor Lynn White wrote, Christians have sort of disenchanted nature and therefore for a Christian a tree is just a fact and something to be used. Listen, Prof Lynn White hasn't read Psalm 65. 
The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy, God. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. And the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Listen, the goodness of creation, that creation itself is praising God, calls us to care for it, nurture it, help it, praise God by enabling it to be what it is, good in itself. And I want to encourage you to read Andrew Wilson's new book, God of All Things. It's brilliant. It will make you see the details of the world like you've never seen them before through God's eyes. Secondly, we are stewards. Really important. When we go on holiday, we sometimes have people, friends of ours, stay in our house. When they live there, they treat my house as if it was theirs, even though they know full well that it's mine. It's kind of a holiday for them, particularly if they're townies. Now, if they were to stay for a week and completely trash the place, destroy the furniture, empty the fridge and food stores, drink all my wine and spill some of it on the sofa, I don't think I'd be very impressed. But more than that, the way they treat my house would indicate what they thought about me. A heart thing. And so Psalm 24 reminds us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. And so how we treat his earth jubilee and everything in it is a reflection of how we view God. That's a challenge, isn't it? Have you thought about the world around you that way before? Psalm 115, 16 says, the heaven of heavens is for God, but he puts us in charge of the earth. We are stewards, managers, carers, gardeners, of creation. Listen, if you care about God, you will care about the fact that he has entrusted you with the earth and everything in it. So what do you do with facts like this? The oceans have risen by six centimetres in the 14 years that my son Jess, Jess has been alive. Play that forward just another hundred years. We who live so close to the coast will be underwater. How about this one? Species of animals, plants, insects are becoming extinct a thousand to ten thousand times faster than they would naturally. Or this 80% of the forest and vegetation has been destroyed compared to what it was like when the Bible was first written. It's not there anymore. What about the oceans being filled with plastic? What about the soil around the world being less farmable? That the water around the world is becoming more contaminated and less drinkable? That rivers and lakes are becoming more and more polluted? What do we do with those facts? If the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, at the very least, we must all agree that this matters to our walk with God. How we respond to this reality is a thermometer of how much we love God and care about him. This matters today in your relationship with God. In Genesis 8, when Noah survives the flood, God makes a promise, a covenant promise with him and says, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me 
and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and hear this, the earth. God's creation is very good. We are his sacrificially worshipping stewards. Let's take a little break now, a pause, and let's hear what Sam and Becca, who are passionate about this, as well as Becca starting her new job with the National Trust. Let's hear what they think. Good morning. So Sam and I are going to chat about a few ways that we've experienced through life of little things you can do that build up to make make a big difference. So as many of you will be aware, most of our, our lovely little planet is, is water, but only 3% of that water is actually fresh water and only 0.5% of that is actually drinking water. So being aware, if you want to take a nice long shower, maybe think about cutting it back a bit, but you know, still stay hygienic, you know. Um, then, then like things only filling the kettle the amount that you need, uh, turn the tap off while brushing your teeth. If you have a garden and you're keen into that, maybe consider getting a water butt. Uh, just little things like that to save the little bit of fresh water we have. Yeah, and another one, and this breaks my heart saying it is, but thinking about food and just thinking about like what we're eating and where it's coming from, uh, particularly meat um, and fish, that is part of meat. So I definitely grew up believing that if a meal didn't have uh, pork chop or a chicken leg on it, it, it wasn't a real meal. But actually, when, when, we, when we look at um, the amount of space and uh, resources that are needed for meat production, it, it's crackers and it isn't sustainable. Um, and I think that's that word we, we hear, it's sustainable, but I don't even know if it really exists. Um, so yeah, definitely thinking about reducing the amount of meat we eat. Uh, whether you can manage a day or two or three or four days a week, veggie, um, and and fish especially. Actually, I've come we've come to realise quite recently that um, overfishing is is arguably more of an issue than um, you know animals with four legs or two that we eat. Anyway, I'll pass it back to you. Love. <laughs> so another thing, just waste. Just as a whole, we throw a lot of things away. So a third of all food we waste each year. But then we kind of we just live in a world where you've always got to have the the newest and the latest things. So I think being aware of using what you already have, maybe borrowing from other people what you need, and then getting things secondhand. Uh, bit bit of upcycling is always always fun. I guess going back to food waste, kind of we're aware where plastics awful uh, and all the damages that that has. So kind of cutting down on plastic. In one of the ways. That can help with both that and food waste is kind of getting loose fruit and vegetables you then don't have the plastic but also means you have the exact amount of food that you need to save save waste yeah so basically it's it's impossible we're, we're asked to like share about how you can do stuff and basically like the list is is endless and i've purposely not talked about riding a bike because otherwise i'd spend an hour doing it but it's just believing that like firstly why we're we doing this in church services because like you know god when he made us he, he set us apart from the other animals to, to look after the planet and uh i think that's something that's just grown on both of our hearts over the, the years and although we haven't got a a great idea on what we're doing 
we're just aware that we're passionate about that or we're going to get run over by a horse here so but just believing that one it, it one it's important and two like all these little things do uh make an impact so don't feel overwhelmed by it all but just think do you know if i did this one thing then that builds up and makes a difference how's that yeah <laughs> all right back to you in the studio uh bye thirdly this is a fallen world some of you might be watching this and maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you wouldn't regard yourself as a Christian. Well, firstly, it's great that you're with us. Thank you. It's great you have made the effort to join us. We appreciate that. 20 years ago, I would have been the same about God and faith and religion and stuff. And one of the dilemmas I faced when it came to all this environmental stuff was why did I care? What were my reasons for doing so? Because I believed in a random world. I believed what Sir Richard Dawkins said. The universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is and we dance to his music. And so therefore, what's wrong with species extinction? That's how you and I got there. The strong eat the weak. That's okay, do you see? And so without God, plagues, pesticides, disease and species extinction. So what? What's the problem? We're just doing what we do. We're changing the environment. We don't adapt to the environment. The environment adapts to us, surely. We're part of nature. Do you, say, do you see where that gets you? Where it got me? But of course we don't think like that, do we? This is an important issue to us. But what I found was by removing God, I had removed the logical, moral, rational reasoning for doing so. I was betraying myself. The Bible declares that through our disregard, dishonouring and disobedience of God, through our stuff you attitude towards God, sin and death entered the world. That the world is fallen and because we human beings are not what we should be before God, nature too isn't what it's going to be. Nature is to some degree fallen as well. It's marred or cursed and as God's stewards we have the privilege of partnering with God in making all things new again. The way they were supposed to be. Listen, this is such an important question. Who made the world? If the world is made by God, then this is God's world. And if the world isn't made by God, it's just nature. Those two beliefs will affect how you respond to this world. If you're not a Christian and you care, why do you care? God's creation is very good. We are his sacrificially worshipping stewards. We live in a fallen world, cursed with sin and death and destruction and greed and indifference and selfishness. But, point four, finally Jesus is making all things new. At our community group last week, Chris gave one of us this verse to ponder about the meaning of Easter. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have, been, who have fallen asleep. 
It's a bit like Romans 8.19. For the creation itself waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Many Christians think about their life of faith and obedience as one taking me out of the earth and heading for heaven over there. In other words, escaping the earth and going to this special destination. But the Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth where we live with God perfectly forever. And it has already started Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. The Apostle Paul is saying that the incorruptible life of Jesus is breaking out everywhere, so much so that eventually the earth itself will be released from its fruitfulness and set free to become what it was originally designed to be, including you and your love for him. Is, if the earth is the Lord and everything in it, then the problem of climate change and soil erosion and flooding and poverty isn't just mine, but it's primarily God's. That's very good news. If you're looking to me primarily to save the planet, we're doomed. Therefore, our approach to this is also different to the environmental panic we see all around. I'm not saving the planet, God is. And so if God is, I'm with him. Jubilee, this has been the prophetic narrative for centuries. The prophets were so excited about the restoration of God's people and about the effect this would have on creation that they couldn't contain themselves using quite bizarre images to convey this. Mountains overflowing with wine, hills singing, the trees clapping their hands. Greta Thunberg is a 16-year-old girl with Asperger's and, won, as, and was Time Magazine's Person of the Year recently because of her straightforward speaking and challenge to world leaders to take climate change more seriously. An amazing young lady and how she has captured the hearts of so many and helped children grasp this in a way others haven't done so before. However, this is what she said. I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic and act as if the house was on fire. We all get her sentiment, don't we? This is urgent. This is important. If the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, <coughs> I want to be doing God's will right now. Don't you? How I treat God's earth shows what I think of him. But we also come at this with trust and a sense of reality and faith, not fear. God is so committed to this material creation. Someday, someday he's actually going to heal it. It's going to have no more disease, no more death. Creation will be set free. Jesus is the first fruits of that future reality. We know that. Tim Keller writes this. No other religion says that. In fact, secularism says this world is here temporarily and then it's going to burn up, right? 
the other religions say this world is temporary and then we're going to go off to heaven or into an all soul in some way, right? Only the Bible says this world is permanent and God is absolutely committed to it. He's going to heal it. He's going to have his son die on the cross and heal it. The fact that God becomes human and takes on a material body in Jesus Christ is also unique. He cares. There's no other religion in the world that says God loved matter so much that he became part of it and he became part of it so that he could remake it and we could live in it forever. That's his covenant with the earth jubilee. Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is true for our heartbeats as it is for the heavens. It's true for the grass as it is for the galaxies because nothing can exist without God's continued power. When we speak of environmental concern, climate change and other things, we do so knowing that God is large and in charge. We do so because we know Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. And that jubilee is not a reason for panic. It's a reason to have faith. It's the reason why we pray. We allow God to be God. We don't idolize creation over the creator. We trust and proclaim that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We worship and praise. We bring the joy news of Jesus to everyone everywhere. Right on our front lines. Faith in action.